How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are back at it again. As you may remember, may or may not remember, a little while ago, uh, we talked about uh, changing some things up as uh, our regular Q&As may be like every other week or every two weeks kind of thing. And spacing it out a bit more and uh, bringing in a bit more uh, regular old-fashioned Bible study. So I hope that you enjoy it. And uh, what we're going to do is just continue on where we left off, working our way through the book of First Peter. Realizing I didn't change this. We're down to verse 8. There we go. There we go. So grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're down to verse 8. And again, using the three points of Christian faith, the three points of Bible study, which are interpretation, application, demonstration. That's the what, the how, the why of Scripture, what it says, how it's being said, and how we can apply it to ourselves, why we should apply it to ourselves for our own learning. So... Going through Peter, there's just so much information. He covers so many topics, and he brings in so much insight and uh, and doctrine and teaching. And it's just just a, such a, a short little letter that he's writing here, the the book of First Peter, just a couple chapters. But there's just so much that he covers, and uh, and again, we see the theme going down through here is submission and subjection to the Lord and his word. And it goes over again and again and again, different angles, different arguments, different points, showing this, uh, the importance of this, why this is important. Um, we see submission uh, to, uh, he talks about to the laws of the land and in what regard submission to to the Lord, to the faith, as his priests, as his temple, as his sub, uh, subjection, submission to Christ's likeness in our love of others and helping others, respecting others in the brotherhood, fearing God and all the rest of this. And then uh, yesterday we talked about the next point that he brings up in chapter 3 verses 1 to 7 about uh, proper uh, godly submission in the home. And uh, went over this in great detail regarding the husbands and the wives and children and the home and the home order and why and why, what does the Bible teach in this and some things we can learn from this. And uh, again, we're going to uh, just uh, touch on an, yet another aspect here of the why, why this is important and what are some other biblical precedents that we can bring in on this. Now, all down through, we see the main theme. The main go-to theme is submission to the Word of God. And we touched on that a lot. Um, submission to the Word of God. Now, what is the Word of God? Now, if you're listening in, if you can, I would like you just to just say that phrase. The Word of God. One more time. The Word of God. We say we say that that phrase so often. I feel sometimes it might lose some of its impact, some of its oomph. Because we get so used to saying it, not it's not that we get jaded, but that familiarity 
kind of starts to water it down a little bit and we fail to remember what it actually represents because when we say the word of god <clears throat> we can kind of say it so easily it just rolls off the tongue and we don't really give much mind to it but when we actually pay attention and we say it for what it is the word of god now who is he what is he what is he about who is he to us now who is he to me personally there's so much there's so much that we need to remember in these things there's so much that we need to remember in these things of who the lord is and what this this book is about the words of the mind the heart of the living god this is what it is it is so important to us that it, it teaches us all the difference between the holy and the profane it teaches us about the cross it teaches us about salvation it teaches us all about righteousness it shows us the difference between the holy and the profane there's it, it, this is the mind <clears throat> excuse me this is the mind of god written down as the lord spoke to his holy servants told them what to write yes true but what and why now understanding this and holding to this and believing this and loving this is one thing now what we need to do is flip this around flip this around now if i can ask you a question if i can ask you a question if you could answer this what happens when we we say we love the lord we say we love the word of god but we question the veracity of scripture and or water down its precepts and doctrines or even outright deny it well what what are things that happen what happens on the grand scale what happens when we water down ignore reject the word of god <clears throat> What are some things that happen? Well, for example, much of the New Testament, for example, in the letters, you see the letter to Galatia, you see the letter to Corinth, the letter to the Laodiceans and on and on we and it writes down the kind the kind of things that these people fall into <clears throat> and as Melissa here says for example what will happen is you start literally crafting a God of your own imagination of your own mind of your of your own feelings of your own personal doctrine now with this I actually wrote something that describes this this very point and this is the this is the importance of now you may have heard the term sola scriptura the word of god alone there are so many people <laughs> so many people and so many different the groups and denominations and religions and cults that absolutely despise the doctrine of sola scriptura now i wonder why <clears throat> and so i wrote some things down in regards to this um in the in this one that i wrote it's called uh, r.i.p sola scriptura rest in peace when the death of scripture alone 
tickled ears replacing convicted hearts, the altar becomes an entertainment stage. Icons and artifacts replacing faith, religious insanity is all the new rage. Everyone preaching their own thing, their own opinions clouding their eyes. Everyone convicted of their own ways when God ruling on the mind throne has died. When the word of God loses its power, when given over to flesh's peer pressure, when doctrine is the way of stuffed shirts and context replaced with what's fresher. Societal dictation takes the pulpits, hell's judgment flames are cooled down. Righteousness is man's generic goodness, holy living mocked as a legalistic clown. Progressiveness flings open heaven's gates, the narrow gospel is that of a bigot. All do that which is right in their own eyes, when churches the scriptures they prohibit. Sin no longer taught as offensive, foul language becoming the norm. Entertainment that once caused to blush, jaded to sin is the new form. Pharisees and men's traditions stand in, our own rituals take the stages. Worship is whatever feels holy, what I think, rather than God's sacred pages. Scriptures hold the faith focused steady, religious chaos spreads when ignored. Pendulum swings in the churches from nigh-heaven to the pious hypocrite's ward. Catechisms to creeds and councils, man's writings becoming holy writ. Who are you to question the fathers? No wonder so many the faith do quit. Mysticism's beads and praying to idols, robes and chanting vain repetitions, saints' graves petitioned in buildings' grandeur when God's word no longer is envisioned. Mary starts replacing Jesus Christ, Christ's blood replaced by self-glorification. The work of Christ Jesus becomes a circus, as it's all about your own self-purification. Cults flood in to fill the religious gaps, self-help books start filling the shelves. Madmen preaching it's all about money, and that you can deify your own selves. Sanctification in the corner gathers dust, Bibles hardly show user wear. Fear of God has long been forgotten, the Laodicean era, O saint, beware. Leaven is oh so contagious, many their faith it has torn down. It tears God alone from your heart's throne, if scripture alone you refuse to crown. This is something to think about. So with that, again, why is it important? Why is it important to hold to the word of God as your final and absolute only authority? Because if you don't, if the word of God, if God's word is not your go-to authority, your, your go-to guide in all things, if the scriptures are not the, uh, the, light, uh, the lamp unto your feet, the light unto your path, you're going to wind up wandering into absolutely whatever. As the word of God says about in the Old Testament, that every man did that which is right in his own eyes. Now, that is so painfully apropos. Every man did that which is right in his own eyes. Because when Jesus Christ is not the, the sole focus and his word, his ways, his words, his mind... His, his righteousness is not your all focus. If he is not reigning alone on the pedestal of your life, absolutely anything else will wind up taking the stage. 
all your feelings, all your ideas, everyone else's writings, everyone else's scholarly intentions will wind up filling in the gap. And the hiss of the serpent, yea, hath God truly said, will truly, truly start reigning in your life. You'll wind up questioning the veracity of everything. And people say, well, well, man wrote the Bible. No, really? Really? I didn't know that. You mean like the Bible says that it was? Man wrote it. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Man wrote it. God told him what to write. And no, the Catholic Church did not make the Bible. That's a bunch of nonsense. Uh, they wrote their own in their councils and, and created the, the Council of Trent, Council on Nicaea, and all that kind of thing. They figured out their own doctrines for their own religion and then compiled their own books of their own apocrypha in addition to scriptures and stuff and compiling their own religious texts. They compiled their own religious texts. The Bible that we have in our hands existed outside the Catholic Church and always has. It was preserved by God unto all generations from when, <clears throat> excuse me, when he told his holy servants what to write, he, he preserves it all the way up to, and then the next one that he inspired what to write, they wrote, and it was compiled to the canon as God preserved it all down through, and we have in our hands today that which God preserved. The Catholic Church had nothing to do with this other than to burn it. That's what they would do. And if they, uh, any Bibles outside of their control that didn't have all of their nonsense and garbage in it, they would burn them. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're rabbit trailing. Okay, let's get back to this. But what happens when the word of God alone is, is not our focus? Well, we see like the Catholic Church and all the monks and the priests and their traditions and their rituals and their, their necromancy and idolatry and same with the Orthodox Church and all of their garbage and nonsense and false gospels and everything else and people worshiping whatever fits their fancy. Chaos. Religious chaos religious chaos like you see in in some of these uh hyper charismatic pentecostal circles where everyone's gyrating and and thrashing around like they're all a bunch of possessed individuals talking like fred flintstone and they think that that's the holy ghost this is what you get all the way up to the progressive liberal that questions the veracity of every doctrine and point in the word of god and all chaos breaks loose sin becomes irrelevant it's just whatever you want now, where am I going with this? <clears throat> because when we take a look at these things that the Apostle uh, Peter and Paul and all them are writing, going down through 1 Peter, we see the outline, the picture here, that the priest, the temple, had strict order. And we talked about yesterday, even in the home, that there must be a strict order as given by God. One of that in great detail about how husbands and wives and how biblically they're supposed to interact, how they're supposed to handle things, and how the home is supposed to be run. Now going down through, it comes to the crux here at verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Now look at this. If you're into underlining, highlighting, or marking your Bible, please do so with the first part of verse 8. Look at this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, be ye all of one mind one mind one mind oh but i have my interpretation you have your interpretation whatever you feel is your doctrine you know that's the devil talking 
Now, whenever you hear someone uh, touting the, their feelings, their opinions, uh, their ideologies, uh, their interpretation, that's literally the hiss of Lucifer. God says that we're supposed to be of one mind, one heart, one spirit, one faith, one Lord, one teaching, under one shepherd, under one authority, under one word. That's how it's supposed to be. But when people question the veracity, they spread it open to the teaching of independency. Independency. What, how you identify as separate from everyone else in your teachings of your mind, of your feelings, and not to be a part of this. And people mock this. And they mock uh, and say, saying how we're just a bunch of sheep. You know, that's actually something really interesting. Really, really interesting. Because you, if you're up to modern lingo, slang, and terms, and all that kind of stuff, it's I find it very interesting that the world will is pushing an acronym at, at uh, greatest of all time. Greatest of all time, i.e. the GOAT. Isn't that interesting? I, I just find that really, really interesting. The fact that they, they push that that being sheep is cursed and bad and you shouldn't be a sheep all of one mind locked down like that, that you should be a goat. You should be great in your own life, great in your own mind and pushing your, your, your identity and all this kind of thing. The greatest of all time, the goat. But Jesus says we're his sheep. God says, God Almighty, the Lord God Jesus Christ says, we're to follow him as his sheep. The world says, no, that's stupid. Being a sheep is stupid and you're locked down. You're uneducated. You're not, you're not smart and, you, and all that kind of thing. And you need to be like a goat. That you need to have the, your power in yourselves and that you need to be like a wolf. And you need to fight back and you need to take strength and take your destiny in your own hand and but Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the Bible talks about uh, how the curse of the goats and the wolves. It's just very, very interesting as you see the dichotomy. As you see the dichotomy. But as we see now what happens when the word of God is not the sole focus of our mind. Let's really start reining this in a little bit. Reining this in a bit. Now it says finally be ye all of one mind. Our minds are to be held captive by the word of God in prayer as the word of God teaches to cap take captive every thought and praying without ceasing and meditating always on the word of God. Why? Now your mind, your mind is the battleground. We have this idea, this picture that the supernatural spiritual war is outside of us. It's around us and it's happening and that we're kind of, you know, wandering through. Well, in a sense, but what is the war that is actually around us that we can't see, the war that's going on? What is the goal, the purpose, the target? Your mind. Your mind. 
This is why the word of God says so much all down through from Genesis to Revelation about protecting the mind, guarding the mind, guarding the thoughts and all the rest of this. All down through the word of God. Your mind is the goal, the focus, the fortress that the enemy is seeking to inhabit. Now, I've said it a billion times. I'm just going to say it again and pretend you haven't heard it. <laughs> but uh, this cup doesn't really ring like the other one used to. Yeah, it's kind of a dull thwack instead of a bell-like. But anyways, um, you, you can learn all the songs on the radio, memorize all the facts of the different aspects of politics and sports and your different teams and everything else, and memorize all your favorite lines and nearly quote verbatim your favorite movies and all this kind of thing. And how much scripture do you actually know? That if you were to eat and drink, if you were to eat and drink as often as you read your Bible and prayed, how healthy and strong would you be? If you were to eat and drink as often as you read your Bible and prayed, how healthy and strong would you be? Now, I'm not talking about the 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 holy Christian observance that, that we're supposed to read our Bibles. If you're looking at it as a supposed to, you don't understand. You don't understand. Well, as a Christian, we're supposed to read our Bible in the morning. Supposed to read our Bible when we, before we go to bed. We're so, supposed to. No, it's not, it's not a mandatory requirement. Do you not want to? But really, think about that. Do you not want to? Well, your flesh doesn't want to. I'm talking to your heart. I'm talking to your mind. You see, the devil this is an interesting fact. As the word of God teaches, I believe it's John chapter 8, correct me if I'm wrong, where Jesus talks about the devil and he says how you are of your father, the devil, um, you have not the love of God in you, for, uh, for he is a liar and the father of it. There is no truth in him. Oh man, there's so many rabbit trails off of this one. I think I'll take a couple just for a quick moment. Um, there's no truth in him. No truth in him. Think that over. There is no truth in him. Okay? I really need to emphasize that one just for a moment. Because there is such a vast multiplicity of professed Christians who think that they can bind the devil to speak truth. In the name of Jesus, tell me your name. Tell me how long you've been in there. Tell me what you're doing. Uh, there's no truth in him. Uh, this is Jesus, the Christ, God Almighty, manifest in the flesh. God is literally saying, there's no truth in the devil. What do you think you're doing? <laughs> Trying to find the devil to speak truth? Are you insane? They're going to lie about absolutely everything in such a way that you're going to think it's truth because, well, I bind him in the name of Jesus to speak truth. You can't do that. That's not a thing. That's not a thing. There's no truth in him. How can you bind the devil to speak truth if there's no truth in him? Think that over. 
The charismatic preachers, the deliverance preachers are all lying. They're, they're deluded. They're insane. They're deceived. And every single one of them that interrogates demons is utterly, hopelessly deluded and deceived. Just want to put that one out there just for fun. Just for fun. That's a little bonus. But as we come back to here, there's no truth in him. Now, the fact, the fact that there is no truth in the devil, it goes to show that the devil needs to do something different. He needs to do something different to get your attention, to, to hold your sway. Now, how does he do this? Well, the devil often, and what he does, because he has no truth of doctrine, and that if you actually investigate what his his teachings and what he's saying you'll see that he's just a pathological liar and he's twisting and lying about everything what the devil does is he is rather he preaches by senses and appearance now i want you to write that one down and actually go investigate that and see how true that is that everywhere where the devil is, he pushes and promotes and teaches, preaches, evangelizes, and screams from the rooftop feelings, senses, and appearance. Because take a look at the cults. They're all about the grandeur. All about the vast grandeur. I.e. mystic grandeur. Because, well, this is for the Lord, and this is this makes us holy, that these fancy places we go to, and the tinsel, and the tapestry, and the glass, and the, the architecture, and don't get me wrong, architecture is pretty cool, but that's beside the point. But all of the architecture, all the appearance, to even the appearance of the individual, they got to dress mystic. They got to dress all mystic with their stupid little goofy hats covered in gold embroidery and all the charms and all of the, 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 the jewels and the fancy sticks and the fancy robes and the fancy collars and all. And they got to walk all mystic and holy and they got their fancy chain. It's all about the, the, the senses and the feelings and the tapestry and the outward because there's no truth. It's void of truth, and it's all about you. It's all about your feelings, feeling mystic, feeling holy, feeling close to God, the feeling of God's presence, the feeling of the building, the feeling of the prayers, the feeling of the clothes, the feeling of the fill in the blank. The devil conquers by senses and appearance because there's no truth in him. God doesn't need any of that at all none of it he doesn't need the the fancy appearance he doesn't need the buildings he doesn't need any of that the cults do because there's no truth in them that's why jesus would preach in a field the pharisees would preach in their synagogues the pharisees would dress up all mystic and Jesus talking about that. Look at them in their phylacteries and they look beautiful. But inwardly, inwardly they're full of rottenness and dead bones. Jesus wore just basic clothes. He just went out in the field and taught the people on a mountaintop. He doesn't need the buildings. He doesn't need the appearance. He doesn't need it because there is truth in him. God conquers by truth. The devil conquers by senses and, and appearance. God preaches truth and doctrine. The devil preaches feelings and opinions and outward appearance. God says, be all of one mind. Now, here, here, just a moment. 
all of one mind. Now you can see this too. You can see it too. You have the mind of Christ, the mind of God, and the mind of self and the mind of the devil. What happens when, when you combine the two? Be all of one mind. Now when you're void of truth, when you're void of truth, how now what kind of mind is going to be unifying the people? What kind of mind? The mind of flesh. The mind of flesh that is all about the senses, the feelings, the tapestry, the buildings, the appearance, and everything else. But, how, but what happens when you got the mind of spirit? You don't care about any of that, and all you care about is truth and doctrine. The truth of the Lord. Be all of one mind. Now, hold your finger here and go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 for a moment. There's a verse here. I want to show you something. You see, for example, the, the Orthodox and the Catholics, for example, they have the mind of Mary. They have the mind of the saints' graves. They have the mind of their self-gratification, the self-purification, the mind of their purgatory, the mind of their self-divinization uh, or whatever that weird orthodox word is. Basically, you divine yourself. You de deify yourself. Um, that it, it, There's this space between heaven and earth that you got to stay in until you're holy enough to, to enter heaven. It's basically purgatory. They're just arguing semantics. It's all about you atoning, you earning, you gaining, you being mystic, you uh, make yourself holy and all the rest. It's all about you, 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 your achievements, your glory. There's no mind of Christ. Christ might be in there somewhere, but it's a different Christ, not the Christ of the Bible, because it's a Jesus that needs his mommy and needs you and needs your help and needs your righteousness and your works in addition to his, because, well, what was the point of him? Because you basically save yourself. I'm digressing. But we take a look at, at the cults, uh, all of them, what they're all about is self, the mind of flesh, the mind of self. I haven't finished all my coffee today. That's why I'm rambling a bit more. <laughs> Makes it interesting. Okay, but we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. I want to take your Bible. I want you to look at this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. Look at what it says. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has known the mind of the Lord? Well, you can't know God. and oh, Actually, we can. Actually, I do. I don't know about you. I hope you do. I know God. I know him personally. I know his mind. I know how he thinks. I know his feelings. I know his person. I can know God. And there are people that say, oh, you can't know God. Absolutely, you can. 100% you can. Because you know how you can know God? What did Jesus say? Whosoever has seen me has seen the Father. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 2.16. I want you to underline that, highlight that, mark that. We have the mind of Christ. That we can actually know God. I can know who he is, what he is, what he's about, and how he works, and how he moves, and all of this. Because I have his word that outlines it so specifically that I can know his likes and dislikes. I can know his character, his personality, his attributes, his everything. I can know God. Because I have the mind of Christ. 
I can know God because I've written his word upon my heart that I might not sin against him because I know what he's against and I know what he's for. And when I bind his word upon my, my mind, my heart, and my hands, it helps me to walk in unison with him by his spirit. We have the mind of Christ. Now, here's the thing. Here, here, here's, the, here's the thing. You very well may be a born-again Christian because you believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that obedience is not salvific. Uh, what is salvationary is understanding the work of Jesus Christ for salvation itself, salvation from sin, understanding that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved, that Jesus Christ is my Savior, that God so loved me, he gave himself for me, God shed his blood on the cross for me, Acts 20, 28, and that by grace through faith, by belief alone, I'm saved, not by works, not of myself, it's a gift of God, not a reward, lest any man should boast, it's not by righteous works, but by the mercy of God, it's not by law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, I believe on the Lord God, Jesus Christ, by grace through faith, through belief alone, I'm born again saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That you may very well be born again saved and not have the mind of God. Now, how in the world does that work? How could I be born again saved and not have the mind of God and not have the mind of Christ? What gives us the mind of Christ? written down well God talks to me through dreams really you must have had a lot of mushrooms on that pizza but if we take a look that God speaks to us through his word that he will never contradict himself God will never contradict himself. Oh, you don't put God in a box says the pagan well no but God speaks to us all different ways says the liberal but now we see that when we actually come to the word of God and take a look at what scripture says, what God says, that God is holy and infinite and just and righteous and true and he will not contradict himself. God cannot lie. And he will never teach you something that is contrary to what the word of God says. He will never show you something, even in imagery, that will contradict the principles that we see in the word of God. Like, for example, I have heard people say, well, I saw Jesus. Oh, really? What did he look like? He was a 90-foot-tall, long-haired... Nope. <laughs> nope. I saw Jesus. Oh, really? Where were the nail scars? Oh, he had nail scars in his wrist. Nope. You see, the devil is a lying, plagiarizing copycat, and he will use imagery and picture and feeling and senses and all these things, and it will feel so good and feel right but satan can appear as an angel of light and his ministers as ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works be not deceived satan knows exactly how to push your buttons and turn your dials he knows how to manipulate you satan doesn't he doesn't eat he doesn't sleep he doesn't rest he doesn't stop and that he will continue he's always watching always listening his minions are always looking for a way in they know your secrets they know your strengths they know your weaknesses they know what makes you move what makes you tick and they know exactly how to push your buttons and turn the dials of your life to get you off the course if you're not into this if you're not into the mind of christ it's either your mind or his mind or the mind of christ what i think or what he thinks 
my authority or his authority? How can we be, be servants useful to the Lord if we are questioning the veracity of his word? How can we be useful servants of the Lord to push the actual true doctrine of Jesus Christ if we're not binding his word upon our hearts? If his word is not the lamp unto our feet, the light unto our path. Let's look into this. What happens when we abandon submission to the word of God? What does the word of God say? Well, what does it say in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6? If someone can in the comments, uh, could you do me a favor? Could you please post in the comments there, Hosea chapter 4, verse 6? It is for future reference for people to be able to read it if they don't have a Bible with them. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, which says, My people, very similar to language as we see in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, if my people... Because can a Christian be led astray? Yes. Can a Christian be deceived? Yes. Can a Christian sin? Yes. Can a Christian do horrible things? Yes. Can a Christian be deluded and led astray? 100%. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6. My people are destroyed. Now that's a hard word. That's a very interesting word. Are destroyed. My people are destroyed, not harmed, not led astray even, not even, you know, imprisoned or held captive. My people are destroyed. Now, just take that word just for a moment, destroyed. Now, use your sanctified imagination. Just picture yourself. Your testimony, your influence, your usability by God, for God to be able to use you for his work, for his benefit, to his glory, and that your whole life of faith, of Christ, Christian influence is destroyed, obliterated, gone, hopeless with nothing, no power, no influence, no testimony. You're just a laughing stock that you're just scoffed at because no one takes you seriously, that, that, that your influence is absolute useless. My people are destroyed. Churches fall apart, uh, pastors fall fall by the wayside, saints give up the faith, Christian testimony is destroyed and your influence is gone and you don't speak up anymore and that the faith is silenced. My people are destroyed. Can that happen to Christians? What happened to the Church of Corinth? What happened to the Church of Galatia? What happened to the Laodiceans? Fill in the blank. All the rest of them. What happens when you abandon the authority of the word of God? You are destroyed. You'll be destroyed by yourself. You will have set the flames to the to the to the castle gates. 
You burned down the gates. You set the whole fortress ablaze. You tore it down brick, brick, brick by brick. You tore down the doctrines. You ripped down the monuments. You destroyed the old waste and turned it to old waste places. You destroyed the landmarks. You tore down the church of your life. You tore down the temple brick by brick. You burned your priest robes. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Is what it says. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now, what knowledge? What knowledge would that be? What knowledge would that be? Well, let's take a look at one. Now, if we go to Proverbs chapter 15, just for a moment. Proverbs chapter 15, and go down to verse 28. The heart of the righteous studieth to answer. Studieth what? Studieth what? The heart of the righteous studieth to answer, but the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. The light of the eyes rejoiceth the heart, and a good report maketh the bones fat. The ear that heareth the reproof of life abideth among the wise. He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul. Okay. Okay. Look at that one. Look at that one. Verse 32 of Proverbs 15. He that refuseth instruction. Now, in context, when you're reading through the Psalms and the Proverbs, and it's talking about wisdom and knowledge and instruction and all this stuff, what instruction do you suppose that the Lord is talking about? What wisdom, what knowledge, what teaching, what words is it that the writers are talking about, are referencing? I wonder what that could be. He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul. Is destroyed? But he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. And before honor is humility. The fear of the Lord. When you fear the Lord and you love the Lord out of, out of a pure heart fervently. Let's take a look at another one. Now, why is it important? Why is it truly important? Let's take a look. Now, there's a couple verses I want to share with you. Oh, Google Docs is shut down. I can't enter my, access my account. I gotta love to. Oh, it works on my phone. Okay. Devil's trying to stop me. Okay. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And here's another one. Psalms chapter 1, verse 2. Psalms chapter 1, verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Now, just a question. 
what is the law of God in this context? What is it referring to? Just like, just the Ten Commandments? Or upon this hang all the law and the prophets. Uh, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Is, is that just what, what he's talking about? But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Well, what's the law of the Lord? The whole thing. The whole book. It's the whole book. But his delight. You delight in it. See, what I try to do in the way that I study apologetics, and the way that I go about studying the Word of God and all these kinds of things, what I like to do is I like to switch it around. Uh, I found one of the ways to become uh, competent in apologetics and teaching and debating and all this kind of thing is to learn to play devil's advocate against yourself, to, to see it from the other angle, from the other side. It helps give you a bit more insight into what it is you're talking about. So, for example, simply put, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Well, what if you don't delight in it? What if you don't actually delight in the law of God? What happens? You become apathetic to it. You reject it. You resist it. You fight against it. You fight against it. You question the veracity of it. You start questioning the doctrines of it. Like, for example, what happens to people who don't take the word of God seriously? For example, they deny the creation account. They deny Noah's flood, that it actually happened, or that it was worldwide. They deny some of the miracles of Jesus, or they deny certain other points or whatever, because, well, that just that just can't happen. That just doesn't happen, because they start looking at the Word of God through the mind of flesh. Because when you deny and resist the truth of God, you're only left with one other mind, and that's the mind of flesh. It's either the mind of Christ, or it's the mind of flesh. Okay? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Psalms 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So think about this one. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, what I think about and what I say, well, I feel that I just feel that God doesn't have a problem with that. I I think you're being too legalistic. I feel I think. Or I wouldn't say that. How could you say that? Say, say that, uh, make the way so narrow and close the gates like that. How could you be like that? How could you be so judgmental? Wait a minute. Is that what is acceptable to you? acceptable to your doctrine is that it's what acceptable to to what what makes you feel like it's right or is it acceptable unto god well that's just your interpretation according to your standard or god's what happens what happens when the word of god is not our absolute final authority let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. Well, God knows my heart, and he does, and that should terrify you. For the heart is deceitful and wicked, who can know it? So we've got to be careful about taking the authority upon ourselves. Be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. Now, just a moment, switch this around. In thy sight, O Lord. Okay, so who is the Lord according to the word of God? Now, the Lord of 
your forge or the Lord of the Word of God? The God that you have fashioned and created that fits and 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 molds to the, the your feelings and ideologies, or is it the Lord of the Scriptures? Because it can't be both. It can't be both. Otherwise, you come out with a monster. It, in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Psalms one nineteen. Psalms one hundred and nineteen, verse fifteen. I will meditate in thy precepts. And have respect unto thy ways. Thy precepts. What are the precepts? Teachings. Doctrines. You know that old fashioned stuffy word? Doctrine. Which just means the teachings of. The precepts. I will meditate in thy precepts. Well now what does it mean to meditate? Now well, there's an interesting word. Because some people really hate that word because, well, the pagans and heathen, the New Agers and the occultists and all the rest of that have taken that and really made it something else. But what is biblical meditation? Well, you sit there and you just think of love, the love of God, the love of Jesus and love. And you just focus on the love and the light of God. No, no that, that's, that's Christianized paganism. That's not biblical. What, what does it mean to meditate on the word of God day and night? Well, to meditate in the biblical context, which is an, has an interesting uh, picture and root meaning to it. Now, sorry for any vegans or vegetarians, but the picture that is given is to chew the fat. As you put the food in your mouth and you chew it and you get all the flavor, all the nutrients, all the stuff out of it. Uh, you could do that with a carrot if you want. Um, but uh, you, you chew and chew and chew. You get all the flavor, all the nutrients, and all these kinds of things out of it. And you go over and over and over and over and over and over and over it. What are you going over? Thy precepts is what it says. Your teachings, your doctrines. Lord, what you have said, like, for example, take Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, leads me beside the still waters, and on and on. Okay, you take one of those uh, either line by line or verse by verse, and you just go over that verse again and again and again, and you look at each word, look at the, the words, the grammar, the punctuation. Why that word? Why is that word given? Why why does it say the Lord is my shepherd, but it's all uppercase, and you go over and over and over, and you get everything you possibly can out of that. That's how you meditate on the Word of God. You go slowly. Go slowly. You take a single word, a part of a word, a part of a verse, or whatever, and you take a look at these things, see what it says. Now, in Psalm 119.15, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. Now, we went over this yesterday. We went over this uh, over the past couple days. What does it mean to give respect, to show respect? Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Well, we went over this kind of thing and about, uh, and then talking about the home and the marriage and about respect, the respect of others, respect of the Lord, respect of law, respect of authority, respect of order, respect of God's order for the home and the marriage, respecting your spouse. What does it mean to respect in a biblical sense? To show loving, honor, respect, and care, and kindness, gentleness, devotion. Respect. 
and I will have respect unto thy ways. That you respect the Lord enough that you set his ways, his word as authority of your life. If you don't, can you honestly say you have the mind of Christ? Or you have the mind of the Christ that you want? Psalms 104, Psalms 104, verse 34, Psalms 104, verse 34. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. So again, the whole focus of the mind, the whole focus of the mind is on the things of the Lord. It's on the things of the Lord. I'll be glad in the Lord, the joy of the Lord. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. In case some people are like, well, that's all Old Testament. There are people that do that. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren. So this is to the saints. New Testament. Whatsoever things are true. Now we went over this. Where is truth found? Where's truth found? Well, there's the golden nuggets of truth in Buddhism and Hinduism. You know, the golden rule. Now hold up. Just a moment. Just stop that drivel. I have heard so many people actually use that argument. Well, there you can find golden nuggets and everything. Okay, hold up just a moment. Is Buddhism and Hinduism and all that of God? No. Where'd it come from? Well, the devil crafted it. Right? It's a false religion, right? It's a false religion. And God says there's no truth in him. Where do you think... Just a moment. Well, Buddhism is older than Christianity. Well, Christianity is just a continuation of the same story. That God said his covenant, same God, same Lord that predates every single other belief system in the entire world. Goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. That God had his word, his, his ways, his truth, his prophets, his teaching, his ways first. His teaching first. And the devil ripped off of that, plagiarized that, and twisted it and perverted it to corrupt this. To make it appear that there is good in everything else. When there isn't, because there's no truth in him. Where do you think they got the golden nuggets from? The Lord. But as we see, truth is only found in the Lord. Everything else, there's no truth. It's all about the appearance and the senses. Remember that. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. Now, hold up. Just one more thing. How can I know? How can I know if something is true according to God or not? How can I know if something actually is truth according to God's standard or not? Well, I feel it's just it's kind and it's warm and it's gentle. Okay, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Going by your standard then. Going by your standard of what you're saying here, you would say that when Satan comes as an angel of light, that that's a minister of God. According to your standard of judgment, your standard of what is truth and how to determine truth, going by your dictation of how you investigate things, how you test things, you would say that that angel of light there is actually of God when it's actually the devil in disguise. How would you know? How can you tell the difference? How could you tell the difference between teaching that is of God and teaching that is not? If the Bible isn't your standard of authority, how can you know if that's a wolf in sheep's clothing? 
How can you know that that's not Satan manifesting as angel of light? How do you know that's not a minister of the devil appearing as ministers of righteousness? How can you test accordingly? There needs to be a standard that transcends human error. Okay. There needs to be a test that transcends any possibility of human error. Now, what would that be? Word of God. Word of God. That has no error in it. Was not compiled from the minds of men. It was not compiled by a bunch of, of crazed, mystic, religious clowns at councils trying to figure out what's of God and what is not adding in the book of Bob and the book of Mary and the book of Judas Iscariot and all kinds of book of Maccabees, a bunch of other stuff and saying that that's scripture too. And the book of Enoch, which is actually Satanism saying that's of God too. And then I'm um, then compiling their great uh, mystic tome and saying they wrote the Bible. That's a bunch of garbage and nonsense. Whatsoever things are true, truth is only found in the Lord and the word of God that has been tested and proven all down through time, down through the eons, proven to be the words of the living God that you know also that it's of God when the devil keeps trying to destroy it. When the very, very, very first thing that the devil ever does when he enters an, a life, the very, very first thing that the devil does is attacks the validity of the word of God. It's the very first thing he does. He wants to destroy any form of the mind of Christ. Any knowledge of God, any anything of the mind of Christ. Now, where have I heard that before? But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, taking captive every thought and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Taking captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. Taking captive every thought to the obedience of Christ, casting down every imagination and high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now, what would go against the knowledge of God, the mind of God, the mind of Christ, the obedience of Christ? That'd be the devil. Anyone fighting against sola scriptura is deceived by the devil, is a preacher of the devil, has been deluded by the devil. Anything, anything that goes against the word of God, that questions the validity of the word of God, questions the veracity of scripture, causes, uh, uh, tries to push any form of even hypothetical possibilities of error in the word of God is of the devil. Because only the devil would fight against the word of God. Whatsoever things are true. So how can I know it is truth to meditate upon it? Well, truth is only found in the Lord. Well, how can I know what is of the Lord? The word of God. God gave it. Whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are honest. Well, how can I know what's honest? Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on. Think on. Think on these things. Now, these things, truth, honesty, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtue, praise, 
wait a minute, that true, honest, just, purity, lovely, good report, virtue, praise. That's eight. Eight, uh, interesting in the word of God, eight is the number of new beginnings. Think on these things. It refines, refreshes the mind. It resets the mind, a new beginning of mindset, a new beginning of understanding. His mercies are new every morning. As we, we see that it resets all of your understanding, your focus on things. The way you think is refreshed, renewed. The word of God quickens, makes alive, brings life, brings energy. The word of God tears down everything else that comes against the enemy. You but speak the word of God in faith and belief and the devils run. It is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. It's a sword that cuts to the heart, cuts to the quick. It divides the, the, the heart and soul of men. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. My word is as a fire and like a hammer that breaks the stone to pieces. The word of God, the scriptures, the holy writ. Think on these things because truth, honesty, justice, the pure loveliness good report virtue and praise only comes from the lord purely you can only find these things in the pure sense only in god not in what i think i feel i envision i want i like i don't like that the moment you start you start determining the factors you've been deluded you've been torn down you've set fire to the fortress Psalms 49 verse 3, my mouth shall speak of wisdom and the meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. Now, whose wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. Understanding comes from where? The Lord. Isaiah 26 verse 3. Isaiah 26 verse 3. That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Our mind is stayed on the Lord. Not on yourself, not on your desires or what the world says or other writings, other things. No, on the Lord and the Lord alone. Whose mind is stayed on thee. Perfect peace is only found when your mind is stayed on the Lord. Psalm 63, verse 6. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. Even in the evening when you're going to bed, what, what do you do? Your mind is on the Lord, on the word of God, and the ways of the Lord, the promises of the Lord, the dictation of God's mind and heart. And it comforts you and helps you to rest and sleep. All down through all down through but rather what we see in the modern era is individuals like myself and what i'm saying is hated and scoffed and mocked and ridiculed called old-fashioned and, and legalistic pharisaical and all kinds of curses are hurled upon it because why matthew 15 verse 9 but in vain do they worship me teaching for doctrines the commandments of men well, that's just your opinion. We have our feelings. We're all different. That we can all be so different, have different views, but we all love Jesus. We all believe different. That's, there's no unity in that. That's not unity. The Bible ties with the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Being all of one mind. One mind. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Having multiple minds is instability. You're unstable. That's sand, not solid rock.
So let's get back. First Peter chapter three, verse eight. Finally, be ye all of one mind of one mind. We are all to be of one mind. Now, how can we, we're all different. We're all different, different backgrounds, different levels of understanding of all different things, different uh, attitudes, personalities, character, that no two people agree on absolutely anything. No two people are the same and everything we're all different but the bible says we're to be of one heart one mind one spirit one faith under one lord and how can this work if we're all so different there must be one standard one law one word one authority that we agree on and that all our other differences are irrelevant because this is the guide of our lives. This is what binds us. This is what unifies us. This is what controls our minds. And we all come together of all our different places and different ways and different thinkings, different levels of education and mind and everything else. We all come to the table. We set down the word of God and we agree on what the word of God says. We are of one mind, one heart, one spirit, one Lord. What the devil wants and what the word of God actually teaches about is that God hates are those that sow schisms. Those that sow discord amongst the brethren. God hates them. God hates that. Now, could you imagine just for a moment? Infinite, almighty, sovereign Lord God in all of his infinite power hating something hate is a strong word and the bible says god hates he hates it he hates those that sow discord amongst the brethren i don't know about you that scares me a little bit Those that sow discord amongst the brethren. Now, hold, them, hold up just a moment. How would that work? What is in that context sowing discord amongst the brethren? Disunity. Discordance. Ca causing the instability of unity. Shaking it apart. Breaking it up into schisms. Ma making it a, fr a fracture. And, and every man is an island unto himself. That you have your interpretation, I have my interpretation, you have your feelings. Well, that's just what you feel about it. I feel differently, and we never come to agreement. We never set it down and say, okay, who's right, who's wrong? That the idea of the who's right, who's wrong does not exist. That everything's allowed, everything's permitted, everybody has their opinion, their feelings. As long as you just leave each other alone, and everybody just believe what you want, we'll just all love Jesus together. God hates that. He hates that. He hates that promotion. He hates that teaching. He hates that kind, that kind of a cult. That's not a church. That's a cult. He hates that, that lie of the devil. Satan says, do whatever you want. Satan says, do what thou wilt is the, is the whole of the law. Satan says that. Satan says there's no absolute authority. 
Satan says it's whatever you interpret it as. Satan says, and then God says. God says, one heart, one mind, my word, my ways, my truth, what I say is authority. Satan says, yea, hath God truly said. He doesn't even need. See, here's the thing. Satan doesn't even need to tell you what to believe. He does, Satan doesn't come up to you with all the scrolls and the books and sits down and teaches you all new things. He doesn't even need to do that. All Satan does is, is just calmly, quietly just walk up and he just stands there. He, he doesn't force. He doesn't do anything. He, that Satan just stands there and all he does is just quietly say, even just kind of under his breath, just so you can hear. He doesn't even whisper it in your ear. He just kind of offhandedly says that whenever God says something about a doctrine of truth and absolute or the righteousness, unrighteousness, or whatever, um, Satan just says, Yay, has God truly said? Is that really what it is? What if it's something else? What if... What if... Hypothetically speaking, what 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 if this happened? Oh, would that still be true if this? And he just sows seeds. He sows seeds. Remember the parable Jesus told about the about the 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 farmer and he had his field of wheat and the enemy came in and sowed tares. You know the sower went forth to sow his seed. Well, you know, Satan has sowers too. His ministers of unrighteousness. His minions that go and they sow seeds. Never, ever, ever under, underestimate the power of sowing a seed. But it's the word of God that tells you if it's wheat or a tear. You see, tears will poison you, will harm you, will kill you, will kill your faith. The thief comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He comes but to steal, to kill, and destroy. What does he want to steal, kill, and destroy? My people are destroyed. He wants to steal your attention. He wants to destroy your faith. He wants to kill your, your hold on the word of God. Finally, be ye all of one mind, one mind, one heart, one faith, one Lord, one way, one truth, one authority. No one else is the authority. The church is not the authority. The Pope, Francis the talking donkey, is not the authority. Mankind is not the authority. Men's, uh, the, the, the writings of the fathers is not the authority. Tradition is not the authority, unlike what the Orthodox will scream from the rooftops, uh, will say, that, uh, that they adamantly, absolutely deny, resist, and fight against Sola Scriptura. They mock it and laugh at the idea of the Word of God alone because they, hold to, they worship their traditions as authority. Their rituals and traditions are their authority. That's because they listen to the hiss of the serpent. And they're going by the mind of flesh. But we have the mind of Christ. That we can know God. We can understand the Lord. 
We can understand his purpose. We can understand his truth, his doctrine, what he's saying. We can understand what he means, what he's getting at. We, we can know God personally, intimately. We can know him. We can actually know him. By, by understanding and listening to this. He's the one that gave it. And since God cannot lie, in him is no darkness, the shadow of turning. God is not like man. He has no weaknesses. He cannot be defeated. And God says, God says, I preserve my word unto all generations. My word is above my very name. Now we've gone over that before. And I just want to really hammer that one down again. Because we understand that at the name of Jesus, okay, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue shall swear. At the name of Jesus, devils run. At the name of Jesus, we see healing and power and salvation and, and deliverance and every good thing. At the name of Jesus, there's such power. The name above all names, at the name of Jesus Christ. But the Lord says, my word, my word, thou hast set thy word above all thy name. Now, I believe that's Psalm 12, if I remember correctly. I struggle to remember references. I can remember the words. No, that is preserved to this generation forever. Uh, above all thy name. Is that Psalm 100? Now it's bugging me. Now I got to understand. But the point that I want to get at is how high and holy is the name of Jesus Christ? And it says he set his word above his very name. Above his very name. Now, if I question the veracity of the word of God and make the word of God as errant in some level, that the scriptures have contradictions, it's not true, it's not all true, and that it can be open to personal interpretation, and we, we reduce its power and quality. But God says, he says in his word, his word is above his very name. If the word of God is above the name of Jesus Christ, and I'm questioning the veracity of the word of God, what does that mean in effect to the name of Jesus? Think about that one. Think about that one just for a moment. If I question the authority, if I question the authority of the word of God, What does that mean in effect to the name of Jesus Christ? And I found it. It's Psalms 138, verse 2. Psalms 138, verse 2. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Thou hast. That God has. Not man has. 
like the Catholics and the Orthodox say that we Protestants have magnified the, the word of God above and said, no, God has. God has. Thou hast. O Lord, thou hast. You have, O God, that the Lord has magnified his word above all his name. And if I reduce the quality, if I reduce the, the effectiveness of the word of God, what does that in effect mean? What does that then denote as what will happen to the name of Jesus Christ? It will be lowered. It'll be weakened. It will lose power. It will lose effect. It will become a different Christ. There you go. And so... In that regard, then, as it says, we have the mind of Christ. I want to ask you. We're all supposed to be of one mind. We're all supposed to have the mind of Christ. I want to ask you, based upon what I just, uh, what I what I just posed there. What Christ are you setting your mind on? Be all of one mind. Be all of one mind. How can we have the mind of Christ? Well, firstly, we have to understand who he is. And how can we get to know the true Christ? The word of God. And with that, what I want to do is I want to finish this up in 2 Peter. I believe it's 2 Peter. Chapter 1. Is it chapter one? Yes. Second Peter chapter one, verse 16. Second Peter chapter one, verse 16. Now, Peter is talking about this, his, the teachings of the apostles and, and, the, and uh, uh, the faith of the Christians here. And he says in second Peter chapter one, starting at verse 16, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables like many people think we've not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our lord jesus christ but were eyewitnesses of his majesty for he received from god the father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased from this voice which came from heaven we heard and we were with him in the holy mount now, just hold up for a moment. I just want to pause here to say. Now, what the Catholics and the Orthodox would do is they would go to that holy mount and build a shrine on it and worship the rocks. Because they think that because the rocks are mystical and makes you closer to God, and, and they would worship the event. They would venerate and revere and build temples and churches and shrines to the event. But what does Peter say? And this voice which came from heaven, we heard and we were with him in the holy mount. Literally hearing the audible voice of God. What could be more special, more powerful than that? Could you imagine hearing the actual audible voice of God? This happened on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration. This happened at the River Jordan when God spoke. And this happened a few other times down through scriptures. Can you imagine being at Mount Sinai, seeing the fire of God on the mountain and the voice of God booming from the mountain? 
Could you imagine hearing the audible voice of Almighty God? That'd be terrifying, and that would be awesome. But here's the thing. Experiences fade. Let's say you did hear the audible voice of God. And you come running to me and say, Brother Matthew, you won't believe what happened. I heard the audible voice of God and he told me this and he said this and it was amazing. You're on a high right now. Um, uh, you're on that religious high. You're so stoked. You're so on fire. Let me just ask you a question. In 10 days, in 10 days, will you feel the same? In a month. In two months, six months, what about next year? What about in a couple years? Are you going to have the same feeling, same drive, same fire that's stoking in you? Or will the experience fade, start to fade, start to fade a bit? The impact that the emotions stirred and all this stuff. And you'll be trying, trying to relive that. Trying, you're going, thinking on that, trying to relive that. But it'll never be the same. For you received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard and we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well, you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in the dark place, until the day dawn and day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. What is the more sure word? What is more sure than even hearing the audible voice of God? What's more sure? More authoritative, more powerful, more effective, more impactful than even hearing the audible voice of God. Having the senses and the religious fuzzy wuzzies. What is more sure? Knowing this first. That no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. I have my interpretation. You have your interpretation. It's not that. It's not open to private interpretation. What it says is what it means. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men. But holy men of God spake as they are moved by the Holy Ghost. Now let's go back to, to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Actually, back up. Verse 13. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. But evil men and seducers. Seducers. Now, just a moment. What does it mean to seduce? To draw off, to, to woo away. Using something to grab their attention and you, you carefully, carefully entice. You carefully entice. You, you get their attention, uh, uh, the flashing glint in the tinsel, the tapestry, something, the senses, the feelings. You play upon the senses and the feelings. Remember what I said? There's no truth in him, no truth in the devil. And he preys upon the outward and the senses. And he entices the senses and gets you off just to look. He can just get you to look. Just get you to look and you take that second glance. Oh, that looks interesting. 
that looks nice that looks fine that looks innocent that looks colorful it looks friendly looks warm looks fuzzy and you go over and you're looking at it and he's like yeah good good and he gets you a look and he starts showing you starts playing and and he gets you in deeper and further and further and further that's what they do oh that's not hurting anybody it's not hurting anybody it's nice it's warm it's kind it's friendly it, it feels like god evil men and seducers evil seducers shall wax worse and worse deceiving and being deceived but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of the word of god been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in christ jesus all scripture is given by inspiration of god meaning god breathed theonoustos god breathed god spoke it all scripture is given by inspiration of god and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of god may be perfect now it's interesting i don't know what kind of bible version you're using but if you go back and take a look at the original Greek of this passage in the majority text manuscripts of the original received text and all this stuff, you take a look at, at the study of this in the original Greek, it will say that the man of God may be perfect. But what, what have evil men done? Evil men, evil seducers, devils in pantsuits, what they've gone and done is they've actually removed the word perfect and put, and put in there thoroughly furnished in place of perfect or sufficiently equipped or some variant and not perfect but god's word as god is perfect not he's not just sufficient he's perfect god is perfect his mind is perfect his heart is perfect his teachings are perfect god's word is perfect and he perfects it and preserves it unto all generations what does your bible say I would actually be interested to know does your bible in second timothy chapter 3 verse 17 does your bible say that the man of god may be perfect does it say that or say something else in a weaker sense that it uh, but is not perfect that the man of god may be perfect as we are made perfect by the perfect ways of God. The ways of God are perfect, and they make perfect that which they are placed upon. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished to all good works. It makes us perfect and then equips us to in our works and helps us in our ways. It perfects our heart and soul. It perfects our heart and soul. And then equips us in our deeds and works. But when we hide his word in our heart, it makes our heart perfect. It makes faith perfect. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 3. Finally, be all of one mind. Well, that was uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 17. So we see in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, finally, be ye all of one mind. 
You see what happens, what I'm trying to show you today. When you slow down your reading and you meditate on the Word of God, this is what we're doing today. This is what we're doing right now. As we're just taking, be ye all of one mind. Just six words. Well, finally, okay, there's seven. Finally, be ye all of one mind. Just this little phrase. And we're meditating on it. Chewing the fat. Or the carrot. Finally, be ye all of one mind. What does that mean? According to God's standard. See how far it goes? How much more comes up in this? And that the next time you read over that verse, all of this that we're talking about will just flash through the mind. As remembering these things again, the implication of this. What is the implication? What's the implication of being of one mind in Christ? How does that work? How come that happen? What would fight against that? What would resist that? What would happen if, I, if I'm not? How can I be of one mind in Christ? One mind with Christ. One mind through Christ. Keep going. Keep going. How would that work? What would that look like? How could I do that? Think about this. Be all of one mind. There you go. That's the study for today. All right. Any comments, questions, issues, insights? Please go ahead, ask away. Be glad to hear from you. We got a little bit of time here. Now, um, going over this it, slowly, this is studying the Word of God. See, a lot of people will read this. You may have heard that you're familiar with the text. Familiarization is not knowledge. Please do not be deceived by, by that, that idea that familiarization is knowledge. It's not. Familiarization is just familiarization. You're just aware of it. It, you, that you've heard it before, but you're not really deeply educated on this. Like a lot of professed Christians are familiar with the gospel. They're familiar with the gospel, but they, could, they, they couldn't tell you the doctrines. They couldn't walk you through the passages. They have not memorized the scriptures. Uh, their, their grasp of the depth of the gospel is so weak it's mouse milk. What, what does it mean? What does it mean to have the mind of Christ? What does it mean to study the Word of God? What does it mean that the Word of God is our, our final authority? Give this some thought. Give this some thought. So, I hope this study has been a help and a comfort to you. I know we started early, earlier uh, this morning because, uh, unfortunately, we got to uh, get going somewhere today. So, I decided to start early. So, in the future... In the future, please pay attention to the uh, to, to the broadcast time, because if something comes up, I'm what I want to try to do is just broadcast a little earlier so that we don't just skip that day altogether. I, I, that really, really bugged me last week. Really bugged me last week. Unfortunately, when we had to cancel the the study last Saturday, and I, I'm sorry for that. What I want to try to do is uh, just broadcast earlier. So be mindful of that. Keep an eye on that. And uh, I'll, 
I always try to put it up at least an hour, a couple hours before with this with the start time. So just glance at the start time to see if it's changed it or or anything like that. All right, so with that, we're going to wrap it up there. Hope this has been a help, a comfort, and encouragement to you. Hope this has given you something to think about. Is the hiss of the serpent, yea, has God truly said. And what is it that he's hissing against? What is it that he is spitting on? What is it that he's, fight, he's fighting and resisting? Thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. That if you want to destroy the power of the name of Jesus Christ, you have to destroy the authority of the word of God. There you go. Because if you because the only way to change Christ is to change the word of God. If you can invalidate the scriptures, you've weakened the name of Christ, you've changed Christ, you've dethroned Christ. Because if you don't hold to the authority of the word of God, you are not holding to the biblical Christ. You see how it goes. See how it goes. So there you go. Hope this has been a help, comfort, encouragement to you, and blessing to you. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. And uh, if you appreciate these studies, please give us a like, give us a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icons. You know, we put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We've got tons of other goodies and content. And uh, as well as checking out our website, christiancoffeetime.ca. We have links to all our platforms, PDFs, and e-tracks. So uh, avail yourself to that. Get busy about the Lord. Get busy about uh, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope this has been a blessing to you. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who submit to the word of God as authority. God bless all those who love the word of God. Hope to see you again, folks. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.